Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text today is from the first chapter of John, these words. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We've found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is our text, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus. Figures of speech, particularly the ones that we call idioms, they can well describe the way that we live our lives. Idioms. They're phrases that would literally mean one thing, but used symbolically, they, they take the literal to a higher, more general sense. They're phrases like down for the count, the boxing term, but you know what it means in your life. You're down for the count. Shaking off the rust. Another idiom that we often use. You know what it means, mechanically speaking, to get a machine flowing smoothly. But you also know what it means for your life, too, when you've got to shake the rust off. Idioms. Of course, they mean different things as you go from culture to culture. They differ from culture to culture. Germans might say, he sleeps like a woodchuck. We'd understand it better if, if he would have said, he sleeps like a log. Or someone who we would say in the, in the American vernacular, we would say talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. The British would say he's all mouth and trousers talk. Americans say that someone's happy-go-lucky. He walks in a carefree, he lives in a carefree way. Happy-go-lucky. Asian Indians say that he walks like an elephant. No care attitude. The idioms that we in our American culture use, they can indeed, as I said before, well describe the way that we live. Because I think it's true even from the time that we're wet behind the ears that we, we do live, we, we learn to live life, letting the sleeping dogs lie so that we don't rock the boat. And sometimes in life we'll find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, other times on cloud nine. Certainly when life hands us those lemons, we know what to do with them. We make lemonade, but we always look for the silver lining in the cloud because every dark cloud has one. And whether we fly solo in life or we, as they say, get hitched, we learn through time that it's good to stop and smell the roses here and there because before long we too will ride off into the sunset. Idioms. Today we can add an idiom to our vernacular. Today we can add one to our Christian vernacular. Today's gospel reminds us what life is like for us Christians under the fig tree, so to speak. Interesting thing about the phrase under the fig tree, some believe it actually to be a Hebrew idiom, a Hebraism as they call it. And they just might be right. The use of the phrase in the Old Testament seems to suggest that under the fig tree meant that one was abiding peacefully in prosperity, in faithful contentment but yet with a certain sense of the messianic. Here's one usage of it. It's said in 1 Kings, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba all the days of Solomon. Micah uses it this way. He says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and every one shall sit under his vine and under, and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid contentment, peace, but yet with the messianic. Zechariah says this, And I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. And in that day, says the Lord, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine 
and under his fig tree. Well, that's where we find Nathaniel today. Literally, to be sure, for we can take Christ at face value when he said he saw him under the fig tree, but also under the fig tree, so to speak, waiting in contented but expectant hope for the Messiah. The text seems to suggest that that's exactly how Nathaniel was, waiting for the Messiah, openly and honestly waiting for him. Christ said he wasn't the kind to be duplicitous about it. In him was no deceit, he said. He, wasn't, he was the kind who wore his hope on his sleeve, so to speak. And so there was Nathaniel waiting for the Messiah. He expected him. But he didn't expect the appearance. He didn't expect from whence he would come. He didn't expect Nazareth. God came to Nathaniel through Philip, no doubt, but he came to Nathaniel. He came with his word of promise, the one that assured Nathaniel that, that God was accomplishing God's purposes in Nathaniel's life. In this case, Nathaniel, your Messiah is here. Your Messiah is here, the one scripture Moses and the prophets told you about. He's here. It's now. It's happening, Nathaniel. God's working in your life, Nathaniel. That's the promise. But what does Nathaniel perceive? That's the promise, but really? Nazareth? Nazareth, he says, come on, Nazareth, that two-bid, one-horse town, historically known mostly for the outlaws and the, and the highway robbers and bandits that seem to collect there, a sort of scourge of Galilee? Moses and the prophets say, this is the one. But Nazareth? Can anything good really come from Nazareth? You see, under the fig tree, so to speak, under the fig tree, is, it's where faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, it's where faith collides and meets with those things that are seen. Under the fig tree, so to speak, is where hopeful expectations collide with the mundane and the rather unimpressive, so often concealed ways that God works in our lives. Under the fig tree, so to speak, it's where what God said he would do intersects with the unexpected and the mysterious and the lowly so often ways that he does what he's promised to do. That moment where faith and its expectations intersects sight and its observations, it's where we Christians live our lives, isn't it? It's where we live our lives. That's life under the fig tree. It's life under the fig tree. God's promised this but we perceive this. Think about how often we do live life under the fig tree, at that intersection of, of faith and, and sight. Consider, God's promised us grace sufficient, strength for the day, but the illness is wearing you right out, or your loved one wearing you out and making you tired. And as far as we can see, it seems to us like grace deficient. Not sufficient, but grace deficient for the day. We forget, though, that God measures good to us perfectly. Having in mind not only our bodies, but also our souls and the eternity of our souls, and perhaps not only ours, but those whom our lives touch. But yet forgetting this, we'll believe it too often to be grace deficient. And it's wrong. 
Lord, he's told us that he'll work all things together. He's promised us he'll work all things together for the good of those whom he's called. But, but after weeks and months of battling for her little life in and out of the womb, now things don't look so good for her. Tubes and nodes sticking out of and sticking onto her little three-pound frame in that neonatal ICU. We ask, is this really what it looks like? God working all together for good? Investments are great and just at the right time because you've been wanting to do that remodel job for some time. And then in a single day's time, fortunes and futures collapse. And you're left standing in your new kitchen or your new house perhaps, holding the bill, savings all licked up like dew in the morning sun. There's nothing left, mortgage is tight, groceries are tight. And it's at that intersection perhaps that the phrase, give us this day our daily bread, becomes for us more of a defiant challenge to God than a trusting affirmation that indeed he'll give us this day what he's promised, though it may not be in the way that we expect or prefer. Even the church is under the fig tree, isn't it? Even here, faith, what's unseen, those things unseen intersect with our sight. You know that God's promised that through his church, and solely because of Christ's work, he's promised that he'd remove your sins, assured you of of a life eternal, a better life to come. The word promises it to you. But to you, perhaps, the church, perhaps it looks more like Nazareth than holy Jerusalem. The people in the pews, they're not perfect. Pastors aren't perfect. These vessels, these vessels don't appear to contain what Scripture tells us that they do. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places here. The skepticism within wonders, can anything good, can anything of God really come out of it? What God's promised, intersecting with what's seen, this is life under the fig tree. It's where Christians live life in this world. Really at every point, and just like Nathaniel, you're there. God's word and his promise tells you that he's working for your good in your life, but what you see, what you see, is not what you might expect. And sin, sin would have its way with us. Just like it would have had its way with Nathaniel. Sin would have its, its way with us. Temptation would sink us in our inborn cynicism. Doubt would harden us in our natural disbelief. It would, but Jesus Christ won't have it. Jesus Christ won't have it. He graciously invades our lives as he did Nathaniel's. He invades our sin-induced blindness, turning skepticism, Nathaniel's and ours, into bold confession. Nathaniel's and ours, so that with Nathaniel we say, Jesus of Nazareth, you are. You are the Son of God. You are working in my life the good that you've promised. You see, he's enabled, just like our intro had said, our psalm said, he's enabled that confession. He's enabled the confession, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. 
Note this well. This, the sermon's not to inspire you to, to, to some living like Nathaniel. This sermon's to declare to you that, that you're no different than Nathaniel. Christ has decided to find you, just like our gospel text at the very beginning of it said, Christ decided to go to Galilee and find Nathaniel. And the Christ who knew Nathaniel inside and out, who searched him and knew him, who knew in his omniscience that Nathaniel was the sort to wear his hope on his sleeve, that Christ, he also knew all the things that Nathaniel inside hoped would never come to the light of day. His sins. He knows you that intimately too. He searches you and me and he knows you and me. And for the sins that we've done, because we're the sinners that we are, he declares for this, I've come. In the flesh I've come and to the cross I've come to make atonement for you and for them all. To Calvary I've come. Where sight alone sees only tragedy. But yet where in truth the Son of God achieved his greatest triumph. You're really no different than Nathaniel. The Holy Spirit's given you eyes to see beyond Nazarene. Beyond the form of Nazarene to see the divine. No different than the wise men really. Who were compelled to bend the knee of worship to this child who they knew and recognized to be God. No different than Simeon, who was blessed to behold the salvation God had prepared, but yet in unexpected infant form. You behold him in verbal and in sacramental form. But to throw another idiom out there, don't judge these books by their cover. They're God's very chosen. All the world is His. In these means, His Word, His sacraments, these are the ones that He's chosen, though all the world be His. Shouldn't surprise us, though. Shouldn't surprise us. Recall God employed Nazareth. He chose Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though it was least among the clans of Judah. He chose Mary, humble Mary, Joseph the carpenter as his vessels. He knew it best to achieve greatest things by way of a cross. Why would we expect him to act any differently now? He, he once used a tabernacle, a, a mere tent, a tapestry of goat and badger skins, but he yet used it to locate heaven on earth. So don't be surprised that he still veils heavenly things under the earthly. But friends, don't look for God anywhere else than in these things that he's chosen. Maybe you recall from last week the, the, the statement by Martin Luther at the front of your bulletin. Remember what he said in part of that statement? He said, when we do look for God in other things, when we dismiss these means that God has chosen, we're going to come up with our own. They'll be empty. There'll be alternatives. We'll come up with our own. Those which God has not chosen. Those in which God will not be located. There's one ladder. There's one ladder between heaven and earth. There's only one thing by which heaven descends to man. And upon which man is lifted up to heaven. And it's Jesus Christ. 
Jacob's true ladder. In fact, at the end of our gospel reading, maybe you noticed that Jesus interpreted himself as Jacob's ladder. The son of man upon which the angels of God ascend and descend. The son of man, he's yet the son of God. Connecting in his own person. Man and God only in this world where he the ladder touches and joins man and God together. It's in the word and the sacraments. The old Scandinavian Christians, they had a real good grasp of this. A real good grasp of this, realizing that, well, I certainly don't see it. But yet it's true that when we join in that holy, 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 like we will later this morning, heaven's song, and on bended knee we receive that supper feast of victory, it's true that most certainly we do it with the angels. We confess that with the angels and the archangels. And with all the beloved company of heaven, our loved ones gone before us. And so with this in mind, those Scandinavian Christians, they designed what many of our churches retain to this very day, a piece of chancel furniture, a communion table, that semicircle, just like ours. Well, it's only half of a visible circle. It's by no means incomplete. That's exactly the way it was intended to be. You see, where the semi-circled communion rail ends, where it ends, symbolically it was there that it continued on. On the other side of reality's realm, on heaven's side, behind the veil, the communion of saints below joining with saints above in heaven's eternal rest right here where heaven touches earth. Christ, Jacob's true ladder, joining the two together. It's no wonder then that we hear of old Jacob, of Jacob in the Old Testament. We hear that when he saw the vision of the ladder, and waking in the morning, having having seen that revelation of the ladder bridging heaven and earth, he, he placed a simple stone and he anointed it with simple oil, and Scripture says he trembled. He trembled and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, he said, and this is the gate of heaven. Life under the fig tree. It's where Christians live life here below. Well, here below, God's work will be veiled, no less done, but will be veiled. God's work will be veiled in the unimpressive and the sometimes hard to comprehend ways. And often they'll seem to us to offer no more good than Nazareth. Don't be deceived. Don't be distracted by the appearance. You will see greater things. In due time, count on it. But because Christ's opened your eyes in faith, you already see him at work. And and so you can be confident. That he's accomplishing all things in your life that he's promised to do. You have his word. In his name. Amen.